0: Hi, this is Angie, host of the Nature Nurtured podcast. I have found that when I head outdoors with something on my mind and talk it out to the great wide world, spirit listens and often offers some pretty great advice. I invite you to join me today. We can move our bodies, soak in the amazingness of mama nature, and maybe even experience a little healing. My hope is that you take this conversation Find your own truths, remember who you are, and take that next leap on your own healing journey. Hello everyone, this is Angie, host of the Nature Nurtured podcast. Thank you for joining me today for this conversation, another conversation about ancestral trauma. This time it will be the story of my paternal grandmother. Her name was Delphia, Delphia Mary. And yeah, I just use her life story as yet another lens to show how ancestral trauma is a thing and how it can show up in our lives. And I just think it's nice to use personal stories to give it that story, to give it just way to make it seem, to bring a reality to it, I guess. So that's what I have done again in this episode. And before we dive into that, I just wanted to say also thank you for those who have rated this podcast and who have written reviews for this podcast. I really do appreciate it a lot. Like I've said the last few times, it's really does help other people find me. That's why I even mention it. So thank you for that. If you have not done so and you would like to, it really doesn't take very long to just kind of scroll down the phone. I think there's a place to click on some stars. If you click on five stars, that would be really cool. And then if you want to take another few seconds and write a review, I think there's a spot for that down below. And yeah, it doesn't take very long and you can do that. And then... I would be ever so grateful for that. If not, that's fine too. If you are just one that likes to be here and listen, I appreciate you as well. So with that, I think we will go ahead and just hop into the episode today. It's it's long enough the way it is, so I think that we will just go ahead and get started. I am going to spend this episode talking again about ancestral trauma and healing ancestral trauma and I first talked about this when I had the episode about my mom's dad and I kind of went over what ancestral trauma is then just to brief briefly recap. If you did not listen to that, to that episode, the idea of ancestral trauma is that we all carry within us things that have happened to us that have created thought patterns and kind of these energetic patterns within us that sometimes create illnesses. And you see that illnesses are hereditary sometimes. And there's the idea that it's the energetics and the thought patterns behind those that are really what is being passed down and that is passed down through the DNA like something's been altered that is creating this trauma has altered something within the DNA and then these this energetic issue becomes a physical issue that's kind of the idea behind it and there's been studies done with holocaust survivors um, descendants and how that is showing up for them and it's very prevalent anxiety and depression and it is not like these descendants have sat and listened to their, the story of their ancestors who survived such horrible, horrible things. It's it because they didn't really talk about it. It's not that they were exposed to the stories. Most of them actually were not. Or at least they didn't know about it until later in life. And so it's not like they were just inundated with these tales of horror. It's really just something that was passed down. And there is... So there are scientific studies. That is the, the one I always think of first. I am sure there are others. Um, so just that's what ancestral trauma is. It's... The, you know, and you think of trauma and it doesn't have to be big stuff like surviving the Holocaust. Everybody has little traumas that they have in life. And if we don't work through them and they start to affect us energetically... And we never really resolve that. We can pass that along, whether it becomes kind of a mutation or I don't think that's really not the right word, but it it gives the best picture I can paint, I think, for it. A mutation in our DNA that's passed on or is this thought pattern that then we, as we raise children, instill in them as well through our actions, our behaviors, the way we talk to them um, you know, we are coping skills then become put onto them inadvertently. So that's kind of how that can look. So if there's unprocessed trauma, even if it's little, um, we can pass it down. So I think the, you know, if you've listened to this podcast from the beginning, you know, that I, I say that awareness is, always the first and really kind of the most important step. Being aware that this is even a thing. That ancestral trauma exists, that we probably all carry it. Some of us are just maybe more sensitive to it than others. Some of us, you know, if you have an awareness to it, you can kind of watch for your own patterns and how that, how those show up in your life and how, you know, just maybe shifting perspective once you're aware can kind of change can change that and then you don't then pass it down to your kids. Um it's funny that I just heard this today again and I've heard it several times um this summer is if you want to help your children the best thing you can do for them is to work on yourself. And that is so true because we have so much of an influence on the people that we are raising, whether we think we do or not, whether they act like we do or not Uh, We really do. And so this work that we do on ourselves, it is so important and it really does pay off. It's a lot. It's a lot, but it's, it is one of the best things that we can do for our kids because the healthier we are, the healthier we can interact with them. And then they are not going to then have these little traumas passed on to them, little traumas or big traumas. So that's why I talk about this. And I just like to use my grandparents as kind of just different lenses to see kind of different circumstances just to get you thinking about your own. Like I just use my family as an example. Um, There's nothing special about mine that's any more special than your family history. So I'm just using it as a way to kind of paint the picture so it's more tangible. And of course, I know my family. So I I just use use them as an example and it's not and I think I said this in the last episode where I talked about it. It's not about look at these horrible things that have happened, you know, my poor family. Like it's it's not that lens at all because you know, honestly, they all all four of my grandparents very resilient, strong people. And a lot of people would have never known their stories, like that they had these things happen. And some of that is because everybody has stuff, especially in those, you know, the, the generations of, of my grandparents. I mean, these, these kids were born into the twenties, which were great times, and then experienced a lot of their later childhood, early teenage years, well, teenage years into adulthood in in the 30s, which was the depression here. And, you know, then their young adulthood was World War Two. So it was not an easy go. Um, it was coming in and being on planet Earth during those decades was not for the faint of heart. They They came and they did some really hard things. And they they rose above it and they were survivors. I mean, they really, they really were. And so this is not a story of pity. It is just an example of the things that, the different things that we carry. Like when I talked about my mom's dad and how he was the grandchild of immigrants in that, you know, how they, he was a, um, English as his second language kid and all of The things that came with um, kind of trying to distance themselves from, keep their culture but also distance themselves in a way in public because it was during a time where it wasn't really so cool to have German heritage. And so the things that kind of came with that and that's what I talked about when I talked about him and just how that could affect and, and... have some patterns that would be passed on if not addressed and I talked about how that you know this these were generations where there wasn't therapy so the therapy you got was talking to your friends or your um I guess it could be coworkers or whatever I mean men as they work side by side could maybe work through things but I don't think it was ever too personal too emotional because that was kind of a taboo thing but Um, but the women, I think it was a little bit more acceptable to, to, you know, air the grievances a little bit more. It was, it was thought to be okay as they maybe work side by side. So, um, anyway, so that's, that's the angle. And so today we're going to look at ancestral trauma through a different lens. Um, the lens of my dad's mother. um, Her name was Delphia. She was born July 24th, 1920. And her story is a story of being orphaned at age 13. It's a story of being removed from all the family that you ever knew and relocated to a whole new state with whole new family that maybe she had, I don't think she'd ever really been around. And during a time in this country when everyone was poor, nobody had really enough to eat and her feeling like she was one more mouth to feed and kind of a problem. So that is... The, the greater lens I guess and I will get into detail more but I mean as you can imagine that would affect somebody. Losing your parents at such a tender age. That very early teenage time for a young woman. Um, they really you know to have a mother in their life and, and be with them and show them, uh, you know, how to take care of their menstrual periods and talking about, you know, maybe getting things ready for when she would be married someday and talking about what to expect with that and how to, you know, um, being with their husband someday and how all that kind of panned out because you know they didn't have the resources that kids have today you know they they just did not and um, And so having a mother or at least a a woman that loved you and you trusted and you loved back um, I would think would have been best case scenario because the teenage years are so hard anyway so that's that's the overall lens but um and I, I but let's look into some other things first. So looking at my so my grandma's dad, his name was Miles. His situation was he had been married before he, to another woman before he was married to my grandma's mother he so it, he was he was married young they i think they got married at like 15 or 16 years old and and that wasn't super uncommon then necessarily i think especially i mean this was rural texas um i think it was not unheard of i and i don't know any of the circumstances around this because she lost her parents so young i don't know that she knew a lot of the things It's not something that people really talked about, but from what I've gathered doing some ancestry research is his first wife, he had three daughters with, and when the youngest one was about two or three, and I don't know the circumstances around this. I just know that it happened. His wife at the time was put into the state hospital in San Antonio, and that would have been, I think, in 1919, so the year before my grandma was born. Um, and I don't know, you know, I, I can only speculate the situation behind that. I mean, they were they were married young, they had babies right away, because the older one was, I think, a teenager at that point, and then the, the little one was three. And at that time, I mean, she could have lost children in between. And I just wonder with her and now she is not any blood relation to me but I still just to give this perspective I just wonder with her you know postpartum depression is a real thing I experienced it with my first child not so much with the other two but it is I mean if anybody has experienced that or just depression in general it it's difficult to climb up out of that hole. And this was, of course, in a time where there wasn't medicine for that. I don't know how much. I mean, it's not like she had her baby in the hospital. I mean, you you had kids at home. You had maybe the doctor came. Maybe you had a midwife. If you had women around you that understood about herbs and things, there was maybe things that they knew to kind of help stave that off. But I don't know. There wasn't a lot to be said about the mental health of a young mother. There wasn't a lot of help there unless you maybe had female relatives that were living with you that could help you. I think just that emotional support helped a lot of women through those things like postpartum depression back in those days before it even had a name i mean i think women had a name for it whatever it was i I know that they they knew about it they sensed it they'd seen it they'd experienced it they probably had ideas on, on how to treat it. And I think one of the things was just a lot of support and helping with the baby and making sure that the mom was able to take care of herself. But not everybody had that live-in support. Um, even though it was common to have sometimes the, the older generation, the the parent or the grandparent, live with you. And then there was this grandmotherly figure that loved to help and and was very still capable to do so or having a mother that lived down the road or maybe having older sisters that were able to pop in. Everybody kind of lived close that was related to you and you had female help at your disposal most of the time. I don't know in this situation that she did. Um, I know that it was a situation where brothers married sisters, but I don't know that they lived close, and I don't know her relationship with her sister, and I don't know anything about her family because I didn't look into her line because she's not a, you know, I am not a descendant of hers. So I, I can only speculate that she, she maybe was having trouble, and because who... I don't think that any man during that time frame in the 19 teens would have thought I'm going to go ahead and commit my wife to this basically a mental hospital I mean it was the the state hospital but it was for that um and raise three kids by myself I mean that does not sound like a fun activity especially I mean he was farming that was his occupation he farmed and and who has time for that who has time to watch three little kids and I I just don't think that was the... It happened. It absolutely happened. But it seemed to happen more in the well-to-do societies. Or I know that sometimes women would get... I've read books about this where during these times if they had depression or anxiety or whatever kinds of mental health issues were popping up um, for so many reasons. I totally understand why in those days... And today too, the mental health, I mean, it just, there were no resources. And, and to protect the family from the mother or because she, it was an embarrassment the way she was behaving. It was like, well, let's lock her up in the attic or in the basement or whatever. So not everybody sent them away, but sometimes they did. Um, But it was, it definitely wasn't, I don't know what to do with this. And she's going to harm herself or somebody else. And so she needs to be removed. Um, And it's so sad because I just, I know so many things that just, I mean, I could have a whole episode on the things in history that women endured that they had to shove down and their moms taught them from the time they were young as they were going through it, that this is just the way it is. You know, we just have to deal with husbands that cheat on us, that take a mistress. We just have to deal with having to do all of these things and getting zero thanks for it. Like, we have to just keep having babies when we really would rather not, because there wasn't birth control and nobody cared and the husband had needs. Um, You know, being used like that being treated like it our feelings didn't matter and not to say that all husbands treated their wives poorly just a general overall consensus was that there wasn't much say to be had so I can see where mental illness was a thing and whether it was treated with alcohol or um, there were other I mean I think like they would use things like even cocaine or whatever um Back in the day, I mean, just whatever, the, the whatever would make them be quiet and functional, even if they got super addicted to these, the opioids or whatever they were receiving. And this is later on in history, of course, but anyway, I understand, I understand how these things, how these mental health issues popped up. And they were definitely not taken care of. So I don't, like I said, I don't know the story of of this woman. Um, her name was Pearl. I, I don't know. But I do know that she was put in that state hospital. And as far as I know, was left there. Uh, she was there 22 plus years. Died of tuberculosis. Um, and is buried on the property. So that tells me. Nobody came and got her body to bury her in a family plot. And whether that's because they couldn't afford to. Whether they didn't have the means to. Whether it was too far away from where they lived currently. Whether they weren't notified and had time to go get the body before it decomposed. I don't know why. I don't know why she was left there. But I just wonder was... Were her girls, were her three girls ever allowed to go see her? Did they write her letters? Was there any communication at all? Or was she just locked away and never had any contact again? And so that was my grandma's dad's first wife. Like I said, they got married young and then this. And looking in census records when... Now, they did the census in 1920, but my grandma wasn't born yet. I think they did it in the spring, and her birthday wasn't, she wasn't born until July. So um, her mother was pregnant with her at the time, and it did, it did show that the two older girls did live with them, and the younger one lived with a grandparent. And so I don't know during those years, or during that time, I don't think it was very long, between when she went to the state hospital and then he remarried. I don't know if they, if all of the girls lived with the grandparents and it was just easier to just then let that little one stay with grandma and grandpa. Cause that's kind of the routine or maybe, you know, taking on a new wife. She didn't, I don't know. I don't know the situation. She didn't want to have a little one underfoot. Um, I don't know. So My grandma was quite a bit younger then, than these, especially the two older sisters. Um, the, The youngest one would have been maybe about six years or so older than my grandma. So she grew up with them some, but they were adults probably for as long as she really could remember. So... I don't know, you know, you just wonder growing up with half siblings, even for a little while, was there talk about the, their mom? You know, how did that, how did that go? Did these girls, were they processing through that? Was anybody helping them? Did they understand what happened to their mom? Because their mom was ripped away from them just as much as if she had passed away. And so there was that trauma within the household, and then, also, um, so that kind of set sets the stage for comi- how he came into the marriage, and then, um, th- her mother, her mother's name was Edith. She also had been married previously, so her situation was she was married. I think they were bo- they were like a little bit older. They would have been like late teens, early 20s. I think she was just a little bit older than he was. And they had a son um, and the son was about, I want to say five months old, maybe when her first husband died. And I do not know the circumstances of his death either. I've looked a little bit into him and she did. So She had this half-brother, and she did, I know, stay connected to him some, and I know um, his daughter, and so I do have a little bit of insight. What I was not able to find online, she was able to fill in a little bit of the gaps for me. Um, So, he worked in a sawmill from the time he was, oh gosh, I think like 9 or 10, it showed him not, because on a census you can see if they are attending school or if they are at work. And from, a, I think the time he was like nine years old, he worked at the sawmill and that's where his dad worked as well. His dad died um, on Christmas Eve one year. And I don't know if it was a sawmill accident, if it was another accident, if he was sick, I I don't know. Um, but then this, so my grandma's mother's first husband, he died when their son was about 5 months old and i he, i know that he's buried just in a pasture i mean didn't put him in the cemetery it wasn't really a family plot i don't know he, that's that's what this relative i know told me that he's just was buried in the cow pasture so and they were so young and having that baby and i don't know there was about 5 years from the time that happened until she got married to my grandma's dad and they had her. Um, but during those five years of being a widow, raising a a little, a little boy, um, I don't know where she lived. I don't know if she went back and lived with her parents or if she lived with his parents or if she was just by herself wherever they lived. I don't know the situation. I wasn't able to, to really find out anything on that, but I know that that had to have definitely been traumatic to To lose a husband, especially if it was an accident, but illness is hard too. So, I mean, because they were young. They were in just their early 20s when that happened. So, raising this little boy and bringing that situation, which I don't, again, I don't know the situation of the first marriage. But if it was, you know, if they were so super in love and then to, to lose the love of your life and then, I don't know when when she remarried was it because it she needed to get married was it because she fell in love with my grandma's dad uh, and the same for him like was he needing help you know raising these girls that were getting older and needed a mother um were his parents not able to take care of everybody else anymore and so it was it a marriage of love was it a marriage of necessity i don't know um i mean they were in the same community for sure um I don't know the story behind that. And so I can only use my imagination. But they each brought to this new marriage some trauma for sure. And then they, they had my grandma and she was the only one that they, she was the only child that they had between the two of them. So she had the half brother and the half sisters. And I remember her talking about them when I would visit with her, as I I spent a lot of time um, with my grandma as a kid, she lived very close to us. So I remember her telling me their names. And I remember writing down on a piece of paper, as I got older, I was curious and writing down their names. And she knew the year they were born, Like she knew the information about them. Um, And I don't know at that time, if any of them were still living but I, I know that my grandpa and her would go out, and I think some of them had moved to the West Coast, I, I think, and then somewhere in the South. And I know that they did spend time visiting with her with her half-siblings, and that family was so, so, so very important to her. Um, you know, she didn't have any full siblings, so these half-siblings were her siblings. They were her family. And... Um, she did she did keep in contact with them her whole life even though there was some age difference she was definitely the youngest by by several years. Um so anyway, that's what was that was kind of the situation that she grew up in. Um And then when she was about 13, it, she was 13. It was in 1933. Um it was in early December her dad passed away December 2nd and then her mother passed away December 6th and from what I can gather um the family that kind of knows the history of of that and they still live in the area where my grandma lived when she lived in Texas um they say they died from pneumonia and that it um was probably from some kind of a flu or something like that so um so yeah I and I know that grandma she didn't tell me this but my mom remembers her talking about when they died they were just I mean they were laid out in the house I mean it was a depression you couldn't afford probably to do a lot of I mean like maybe they couldn't afford to go to the you know, have the funeral home, take care of all this. And and maybe it was just more commonplace still for people to, to take care of their own family when they passed away. But she remembered them being laid out in the house with nickels on their eyes. And just to, to be around death like that, um, seems very traumatic to me today. I think it was more commonplace then. I think that we, we definitely are more skittish about death today than people were, back then. And I could talk a whole episode on that as well. Just this idea that, um, when someone passed in your family, the, how the women usually would be the ones to wash and dress and lay the body out. And the men were the ones who helped make the, the coffin for the body and helped, um, you know, get the, 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 the whole dug. um, and I think it was, death was, it was first of all more common, just lack of medical resources and uh, mostly. Um, and just because of the way the bodies were taken care of in the home and laid out in the home and not removed immediately after death. I think it it was, not that it made it easier, but I think there was closure when you could be around this body for days and know that the light indeed had gone out like you were able to process things because it was very much in your face it wasn't like somebody came and removed the body and you didn't see them again until the funeral and then immediately you know in the ground and that was it or cremated or however you choose to do that today so I mean she had some time to process that but also of course that had to have been traumatic seeing her parents that way and it's like what's going to happen to me and I just I put myself in her shoes the best I can and I just wonder you know how the processing of that is when when you when you lose both and and I don't know if she was ever sick with the same thing and she survived I never heard that that was the case um so was she in the I don't know like I don't know the circumstances to know if she was home when it when they passed if if she had been staying somewhere else if she was also sick but I just I can imagine as a as a teenager you're like what's going to happen to me and hoping I mean I don't know I I, I'm not I did not ever she didn't like to talk about it even as she got older I mean I, I think there was she would say she just didn't remember. I remember asking her like, "What? What did you? You know, what did you do when you were a kid?" Oh, I really don't remember. I mean, she didn't really want to talk about it. I, I think it was just a way to protect. I think it. I think it always was very raw in her. But um, she was, I think, close to the grandma that lived near them. It was her. It was her dad's mom and dad, those grandparents, they I think they live close by. I, I I believe that she told my mom stories about how that grandma would take her fishing. They would they would go get fish for supper. And I'm pretty sure that she also chewed tobacco. Not my grandma, but her her grandma. Um so I mean I think life was never I mean I think they went fishing not because it was fun, but because they needed something to eat. I mean it was a depression and you used your resources as you could. So, I mean, life life wasn't easy from the get-go. You had parents bringing trauma into a marriage. And then here you are growing up with this situation. And then you lose your parents at 13. And then she did not get to stay in Texas. Um, she went to live... I think first she went with her mom's mom who lived in Kansas City. And so... I think, I don't know if she had come for the funeral and then she went home with her. I don't, I don't really know the story. I know her half sisters were already married and gone or on their way that way. Um, they, they left home, um, after this happened and if they were even still around and her half brother was off working, um, not in the sawmill, but he would, he would go follow the logging crew and they, um, in the area, they were cutting down trees and, and he, I think was there for the funeral and then he had to go. Um, I, I do know, I heard that story that he, he couldn't stay and he couldn't help raise her or anything. I mean, he was like, I think he was maybe 18 or 19. So he was, you know, grown up and, and he needed to work. Um, I mean, it was a depression and you, you had, you had to, work or you would be replaced or I mean you would have to go to work you or you would be replaced there were people waiting you know for those jobs and so he couldn't just take off and be with his sister so um so she didn't she wasn't able to stay and I I don't know how well she knew the grandma that lived in Kansas City I don't know how long she'd been gone from Texas because she did live there um it's hard to tell with census records because there's a 10-year gap in between and so you really it's hard to know when things, you know, changed. Um, so there's a lot of guesswork, but she, she moved to Kansas, didn't stay with the grandma long. Um, she lived with an uncle, an aunt, I think in the Kansas city area for a time. And then she was moved to the Emporia area after that. And, I don't know from from she did talk about this. I would from time to time hear her talk about how those aunts were very uh mean to her. Um they did not they they were kind of they kind of felt put out that they had to buy clothes and shoes for her even though I I do not believe that there were any that they had any children. I or if they did they were older. Um I don't know that she had cousins that I I know that they were not in the home. Um so it, whether they were just way older or whether they just these aunts and uncles did not have any children and there was just this resentment almost that she felt towards her from the the aunts not the uncles because the uncles were her blood relatives the uncles were her mom's brothers that she stayed with her her mom was the only girl in the family. Um so I, I remember her saying that nobody wanted her. Very often. I mean, not not every time I saw her, because I saw her a lot. But um, she very much always felt like she was not wanted. Um, so that was definitely expressed to her. And being a teenager, of course, you're more raw and open and sensitive to anything that feels negative towards you. I mean, it's amplified, of course. But, I mean, she's... So I just, I cannot even begin to imagine how that must have been. Losing your parents in the same week, being moved. I'm sure she. I'm sure it was right after the funeral. I'm sure that's whoever, whatever family came for her mom. I am sure she went to Kansas with them right afterwards. So she's, whatever friends that she had in school, um, gone like any cousins and grandparents that she had in, in Texas. I mean, they, they ripped her away from all of that and moved her to a place where people were very much letting her know that she was a problem, that she was not wanted. So luckily for her, um, she not long after all of this, she did end up meeting my grandpa at school and, um, they were married for Gosh, I don't know if they did have their 70th or whatever before she passed. But they were 65th, I think. I think that was their last anniversary. That was a big one. But um, they were married for, for a very, very, very long time. And they, my grandpa, loved my grandma. I mean, they they loved each other. He was very, very good to her. Very sweet to her. Um, she had four Henri boys. Um, and who were also sweet to her, but also I'm sure, uh, yeah, caused some gray hairs because I know them all. Um, my dad being the youngest. Um, but it was, you know, it was, it was not, it was not an easy time for her. And it, and I know she carried it with her whole life. I know she always kind of felt like nobody wants me and and i just wonder is it this did she carry with her this like i'm not lovable i'm not worthy i'm not enough i want to keep myself small i want to people please i don't want to be put anybody out it's hard for me to know because i knew her in a different way you know i knew her as grandma and she was nothing but kind and sweet and loving to me i spent so many hours either sitting in the chair next to her and her reading to me, or I would just, I was very content just to sit in her chair with her while she embroidered. She, she was a very good seamstress and she also did, um, the fancy sewing as well with the embroidery work. And I was content just to sit with her while she sewed. I mean, I, a hundred percent, just to be in her presence was comforting for me. We lived within a mile. Um, some of my childhood, it was really just right, basically, almost next door. We lived out in the out in the country, but um, we lived in the house my dad grew up in, and then they had built a, another house later on, and they lived in that. But, I mean, I could just run down the ditch to see her. So I spent a lot of time with Grandma growing up, and, and I would have never... I didn't see it as a kid. I didn't see it I as a teenager. The only, I, I don't know. She would tell me that she was just an old orphan. I'm just an old orphan. Nobody wanted me. And she also was very put out that she did not have a birth certificate. I think they were wanting to travel. Like, I don't know if they, where they were wanting to go later in life. But she couldn't get a passport because she didn't have a birth certificate. And she was just very, that hurt it was just like one more thing. Like there's not even any proof that I was born. Like I don't even exist. So I don't know. I think I, yes, I do think that she carried it with her. Um, she also, her, um, her body just really, um, to it, all of this, I think took a toll on her. I mean, I, I do think there was some mal- malnutrition early in life and, you know, through that depression era time, not when she was her married life she was well cared for I mean they they had they were financially well off I mean they were not wealthy by any means but they were not hungry they they were comfortable probably more comfortable than she'd ever dreamed of being honestly um But I think there were years of wearing shoes that were very much too small. She had a lot of problems with her feet. She had scoliosis. I mean, she definitely had a very hard time. Even when she was younger, I mean, I don't remember. I'm trying to think of how old she was when I was little. She would have had to for sure have already been in her 60s when I was born. And I don't ever remember her being able to walk very well. I mean, it was always with... I mean, because the scoliosis kind of bent her over, like bent her spine, curved it. And then it made her hips out of balance. And um, she didn't walk with any kind of a walker or cane until she was in her mm, late 70s, early 80s. So she just would kind of hang on from chair to chair in the living room prior to that. But, you know, I don't know... With how things were if it was a an issue of her body just wasn't nourished well in those growing years, or if it was just an emotional toll and all i mean I cannot imagine the energetics you know what was happening energetically to her when she was grieving her parents and then having zero support and people were just being mean to her basically, um, all at the same time. Like I, I, I don't know how she even came out on the other side of that. So, um, definitely resilient, definitely had inner strength pushed through. I mean, there wasn't, you know, I don't know that generation. It's like, well, what other choice was there, but it could have, it could have gone another way. I mean, thinking about how her dad's first wife ended up in the state hospital, you know, this could have also set her up to go down that same path. I mean, they were not related blood relation, but I'm just thinking about how that could have taken definitely a toll on her mental health to the point that she couldn't function in normal society for sure. So that she overcame that and that she, she did find love in her life um, through my grandpa and then having a family and family it was so so important to her always i do I do know that she was always very very much wanting family around and and luckily her most of her kids lived nearby where and of course, nobody ever stopped to see her enough. I mean, I do know that um I was over there a lot until I got to be in my later teens, and of course, I went to college and and um she passed not uh, when my oldest son was about a year old. Um, but you know, I don't know, I I don't know how much she processed and how much was, was passed, but I know I've had issues with wanting to keep myself small and wanting to make sure that, I mean, I, I don't want to rock the boat, so I'm going to just suffer in silence rather than make anybody else feel uncomfortable and have a reaction to my emotions, um, I very much stuff my feelings. Uh, I am working on that. Um, it's definitely ongoing. I'm getting better about it. I am aware that I do it now. And I do take a moment and really try to, to not do that. But my first instinct is to is to stuff the emotion. And I don't know if that's something that I carried that I carry from her. Um, that can come from anywhere. I mean, these things I really just bring them to awareness because they it they are patterns that are passed on, but they're definitely not like me not wanting to make other people uncomfortable with my emotions so I I stuff them down or me not wanting to have other people feel bad or be uncomfortable so I will just be uncomfortable instead. Those are not rare uh, patterns that people carry. I mean, those are things that a lot of people carry. So, you know, where do they come from? Do they come from our ancestors? Do they come from events in our own lives? I don't, you know, we don't really know. Um, the important thing is, is to watch for those things and be aware. But I think sometimes, you know, when, when we can work through those and we know that maybe we, it came down through the DNA and maybe, that was something, you know, I think about, you know, if when I work on these things and when I have little successes, I just kind of imagine like grandma giving me a high five because it's like, you know what, we're, we are all in this together. And, and my successes, I think also are hers because I think she's proud of me when I can work through those things. And I think it, it maybe helps everything energetically around you know it if she couldn't do it in her time then I'm doing it in mine then there's this whole thing about time and I'm not going to get into that in this in this episode but if time is not linear as we see it as humans and if it's really everything is kind of happening all at the same time I mean if if I'm doing some things that are healing and clearing the board for me is it then also helping her on an energetic level in that time I know mind blowing stuff here, but, and I know that's, that's far out there, but something to think about. I mean, we don't know, we don't know if that's true and we don't know that it's untrue. So just, just something to, to chew on for a little bit. And so that's, that's why I tell this. That's why I tell stories of my grandparents to bring to life these issues, and then you can get curious about your own line and find out your stories. And, you know, I didn't have to... In this episode, I'm not going any farther back than my great-grandparents. Um, I do know, just if anybody's cares to know, I mean, and I've looked through it. I mean, I do know that the lineage is English and Scottish. I mean, I, I do know that they... And I do know that they had from the lines that I could trace had, have been in the United States since the 1600s, 1700s. So the colonial times, I know that they mostly lived in the South. I know that, um, during the Civil War, they were not necessarily on the side that I would be on today. Um, I know that they were wealthy and well-to-do until after the Civil War. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, but, In this, I think with her story, it isn't so important to look that far back. And sometimes, sometimes it is. Sometimes going farther back really does help you understand what really has been passed down for a really long time. But in her situation, I didn't have to go back very far. I mean, looking at the story of her parents and her own life, there was enough there for me to dig into that it it was just, it was enough. So... So yeah. Um, Oh, and another thing I just thought of um, about her mother. She was, I think I I mentioned this, she was the only girl in the family. I think she was the second oldest. So she had an older brother and then she had younger brothers. And um, one of her younger brothers, he would have been the second to youngest. I think there was another one born after him. So he passed away of um, well, his death certificate says malarial poisoning. So I guess he had malaria, but the odd thing is, is he passed away on December 1st. And I know they lived in Texas, but I just think that's an odd time of year for malaria, unless he'd been sick, like all through the summer and then just got weaker and weaker and didn't pass away till December. I don't know the story on that. Um, I know he's buried in a family plot, but i but that was another loss in in my grandma's mother's life um you she would have been i think a teenager when he passed and he was i think eight or nine and so and her mother and I got this information from i think it's the nineteen ten census maybe even the nineteen hundred census it, it's those two I believe they both have it they will say how many children the the mother had and then how many are surviving at the time that the census was taken. Very interesting numbers to look at. Very sad numbers to look at. Um, Generally, on average, I would say you have about half um, surviving. But her mother had had 11 children and five were surviving. So um, that's a lot of loss. And I don't know how aware... Her mom was of the loss of the babies. I mean, she was the second to oldest, so I don't know if she lost some between the oldest brother and her. Or if the majority of the losses happened after her and she remembers them. I don't know. but And then losing the brother to malaria later... I mean, when she obviously was, re- like, I don't know how did her mother lean on her for support? Did she kind of help her mom through the losses? Was that put on her? Was Were there a lot of responsibilities put on her if her mom was dealing with grief issues? I won't ever know, you know, but I look at those numbers and then my imagination takes off and I just wonder. And, and it may seem like I'm inviting trouble thinking about things like this, but I think, just an awareness, an awareness knowing that everybody has some kind of trauma, whether it's in their own life, whether it's in their family line. And they they sometimes were able to clear that stuff, I think. I mean, I, I do think if they had strong family support, they were probably able to move through some things. And it was just a different time. People were not that they were used to things that were hard, but in a way they were maybe a little bit more calloused. I don't know that that made it easier or if they were just stuffing things down and having to pretend to be strong or if they actually worked through them. I mean, I don't know. We won't know. Um, but yeah, they didn't have the services that we have available today. I mean, and not everybody even has them available today. Um, they're, it's not necessarily cheap to have therapy. And unless you can find something that, you know, insurance covers, or um, you can get assistance in some way on how to pay for that. I mean, it's, yeah, but I mean, it, it exists, it's available, but it's, it's sometimes expensive if insurance doesn't cover it, or you don't have a way to kind of get help with that. So um, I don't know, this was kind of a long ramble to say that I do encourage you to look. Look in look in your family tree and see if there's anything any any stories that maybe you didn't know about. Um, especially if you're a woman looking into the the story of the women in your tree. I mean and I think there's so many of us that have similar stories to one another. Our or our our ancestors have similar stories just because of the time that they lived in and, and how women were valued or not valued and how they were treated. So anyway, um, ancestral trauma. I mean, it's, it's important to be aware of it because then you can watch for those things and you can, as you, like I said before, as you work through those things like issues with self-love or self-worth or, um, clearing some anger or resentment things, um, you can kind of high five those ancestors as you clear through because you know they're cheering for you, they're cheering for us, they want us to work through the things that they couldn't for whatever reason, so I think that's kind of cool too to know that we have kind of a a squad behind us um hoping that we can that we can clear out some of the trauma so anyway um yeah, so this episode definitely is honor of my grandma, Delphia. And um, yeah, I miss her. And I think about her a lot. I mean, I probably think about her every day. Um, She was a big part of my childhood. I spent a lot of time up at that kitchen counter. She always had uh, just plain white drawing paper and markers or crayons. And not that I didn't have that stuff at home, but it was just special at her house in the drawer, you know, you go and get it. And then she always had some kind of pop. So you got yourself a pop, maybe some cookies or whatever. And you just climbed up onto those bar stools and, and it was just, and she would sit there with me. Um, I also remember she would mow the grass. She does, she did love to mow. Um, she would mow and, And I would roller skate on the driveway. And I remember um, quieter times, like I said, sitting with her while she sewed. Um, She taught me how to embroider a little bit. I have not since really picked it up, but she would, oh man, she was so patient helping me unknot all the knots that I would get in that thread. And, um, oh gosh, so, so many good memories. I mean, she, she made some of the clothes when I was little for me that I, I do still have one of the dresses, um, that she made. Um, and I have a quilt that she made when she was in that time after she lost her parents. I have the quilt that she made when she was a teenager and it is all hand sewn and it is definitely a gift, um, that I had from her. And I, I think I did tell the story about that quilt one time about how I was showing my youngest son, all those little stitches and, um, had really been feeling that heaviness of, it was in December and just that heaviness of that heavy time of year for her. I never sensed that about her, but I feel it. I feel it when December, that early December comes around here lately. I have in the last few years been feeling that. Um, and I had brought the quilt down out of the closet and I just wanted to lay under it um, and just kind of feel like I was close to her and just, I could just feel that grief of losing her parents. I don't know. I just, I have been very open to feeling those kinds of things lately and that does come through in early December. And I remember showing Lincoln the quilt and, you know, commenting on all the tiny stitches and and just hearing a voice come in and it was not mine and it was not her voice, but it was just this thought that was sewing. How did she say it? Sewing kept me present, or something like that. I I, I wrote it down. I'd have to go back and look, but I just now thought about it, um, and and th- that would not be the word that she would have used in her time but I think it's like she knew I would know or spirit knew I would know what that meant but I think sewing did ground her maybe that was the word it grounded her it grounded me is what I think she said um because it did it 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 gave her it was almost like meditative to sit and do those stitches and it got her in her body and out of that that grief in her head and in her heart. It it let her just kind of have, keep her hands busy and give her something to focus on that was not thinking about missing her mom and dad. So, um, I have that that's super special to me. And another thing that I used to love to do with her is, um, we would sit and watch Bob Ross together after lunch. Um, and I still love to watch Bob Ross. I mean, who doesn't like to watch Bob Ross paint, but I just remember lots and lots of hours, so many paintings of Bob Ross um on channel channel 11. So anyway, that's my story about grandma today. This episode is for her. I do feel like she is with me. Um I don't know that I would call her a spirit guide, but I think she is a guide in spirit if that makes sense. I mean, she she definitely is around and I think because I have asked her to be here and that she has healed enough on the other side to to kind of hang out and to to hang with me and be helpful and, and kind of cheer me on. So, um, with that, I will wrap this thing up. I will be talking about my mom's mom at the end of August. Um, that's close to her birthday. So, uh, we will, we will view ancestral trauma from a different lens when I, when I talk about that grandma. But, um, anyway, I hope You all are well. I hope everyone has had a chance to get outside in nature today and until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening today. I love having you join me, even though I'm technically out here, just me and my dogs. It is exciting and heartwarming to know you are out there too, listening, walking, adding in your thoughts as we go as always i hope everyone has had a chance to nurture themselves with a little bit of nature today mother earth always has the best medicine